the Omaha Bugle Global News Headquarters, this is the Global News Network with Senior Correspondent Jeff Weaver and Senior Correspondent Adam Von Romer. Mr. Weaver, once again, we find ourselves back at the Global News Network desk of the Omaha Bugle. This is our uh, post-Christmas show, and yes, I said Christmas. Not trying to be politically correct, but there you have it. And you know what? I want to talk to you a little bit about your latest article here. It's entitled uh, Extrapolations, I love that word, and Projections and Delusions about China's Growth. Now, you and I have been talking about this for a little while. I believe you have even made arrangements to speak to an eminent expert on Chinese policy, affairs, etc. We're just kind of teasing that one right now. But I want to talk to you a little bit about your article here. And you're talking about, I love this, extrapolations and delusions. So, one, what prompted this article? What were you thinking? And tell me a little bit more about it. Well, Adam, I'm glad it was that article, not that other article with the letters to penthouse section. So uh, that's probably appropriate for this uh, show. Exactly. That might help the viewership, though. Well, the listenership, I guess that's the Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember we're doing podcasts because of the viewership issue. (laughs) I believe somebody once said we have faces for radio. So there you have it. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. so anyways, Adam, I think the point of that was not really so much China in and of itself, but the fact that human nature is such that whenever something seems to be going in a particular direction, it can be something in our own economy, such as housing prices, inflation, or whatever, mm-hmm. there's a tendency for people to sort of view it as extending out outward for years or even decades. And you know, certainly, well, and certainly there's probably been some justification for feeling that way with housing prices over the past couple of decades, because they have tended to, with some exceptions, kind of rise over time. Where the uh, extrapolation thing comes in with China, and of course we, we do, as you say, have an eminent Chinese scholar that will be on a couple of future podcasts uh, who will mm-hmm. talk in far greater detail than you and I can about what's going on in China and its future. But as you know, there is our favorite group of pessimists, the so-called declinists, who have, uh, shall we say, never been particularly positive about the future of this country. And as we've mentioned in several other podcasts, there would be times in our recent history in which there would be a new, shall we say, 800-pound gorilla on the scene who was going to basically bury us. It was going to be the Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s. It was going to be Japan in the uh, 80s and 90s of the prior century. Where's a good Khrushchev when you need one now? Well, there you go. But, uh, you know, so, of course, China, due in large part to its economic achievements over the last really four decades after it began opening up following the Nixon visits and so forth in the 70s, its economy expanded at a pretty rapid rate for several decades. And I know you and I have spoken about this on a number of occasions, but when we think in terms of China's economic miracle, are we relying on the Chinese data for this economic miracle? Or are well, we getting some kind of independent Chinese miracle data? Well, their data is somewhat suspicious in so far as if you look at it on the aggregate, what is the GDP and so forth. And there's various people who have studied that and concluded that it may be a tad inflated. But you know, it's <laughs> a tad inflated. It's, it goes uh, up 10% a year, every year. 
Well, in recent years, it's kind of stumbled a bit. But, it, you know, basically what happened was they followed the same investment model as the old Soviet Union and the old, I'm sorry, the same development model as very investment oriented as the old Soviet Union and the Asian tigers, as they call them, you know, Japan and South Korea and so forth, where they invested in certain industries. They had a lot of labor. In the case of the Soviet Union, there's certainly a lot of raw materials available, less mm-hmm. so in the Asian countries. But there was a real focus because the economies were so small at the beginning of their stages, you know, you start throwing in a lot of labor that's in the countryside, not really being used, and they're now in factories, and or you start throwing a lot of materials in the process, you start building up a bigger economy. And so you get a pretty fast rate of growth because your base is so small. What happened with China was, I think in that article, 1985, for example, their economy was about a tenth the size of ours. So over time, over the ensuing three or four decades, I guess three decades, to about 2015, uh, they averaged close to 10% a year in terms of their growth. Right. Now, you know, that you remember that old rule of 70, right? If, for example, your rate of growth is 10% a year, the economy will double in seven years. Right. Your economy will double every 35 years. Mm-hmm. So you can see the uh, country that's got a 10% annual growth rate is going to be going at a much faster clip than the uh, somewhat more mature economy, the more developed economy that's chugging along at two or three percent per year. Right. Of course, what was also happening back then was the Chinese population was increasing pretty rapidly, and that mm-hmm. led ultimately to that one-child policy, which they implemented and had in place for about 30 years, where they were restricting families, penalizing mm-hmm. families that had more than one child. So anyways, so you fast forward, and China's been going on 10%, 9%, 11% a year, year after year after year, leaving aside the statistical fabrications or enhancements that go on. You know, it's pretty undeniable that their state didn't have cities being built. They were producing cars. I mean, you could count this kind of stuff. So people, our buddies, the declinists, whose analysis is a mile wide and about an inch deep, and what I mean by that is they basically look and say, okay, well, China's chugging along at 10% per year. Um, their economy is about, eh, about 70% the size of the U.S. economy at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're growing at 10% a year. The U.S. manages 2 to 3% on average. So, you know, you just do that rule of 70 thing again. Okay, well, China is going to double in 10 years. The U.S. <clears throat> you know, the 35 years to double. Well, during that 35 years, China will have doubled once or twice again. Mm-hmm. And so that's the theory. So ultimately, you've got a Chinese economy in their eyes because they've run the straight line 10% growth out to the horizon. That's right. Maybe three times the size of the U.S. economy in you know 20 or 30 years. And that's what we get into with the so-called the delusional extrapolations where people just get on this bandwagon and they don't really think about how you even support an economy of that size. And of course, as you and I both discuss and our Chinese friend will be discussing in a future podcast, you have to have people in a working class and a consumer class to buy this stuff and to make this stuff. I was going to say that that was one of the things that you and I discussed, I believe, quite a few times. It's like, oh, it's great. It's great your economy is growing at this rate. However, there's one small problem. Mm-hmm. Economic growth, as you and I both, I think we both understand it, is not strictly an external function. A lot no, of that no. growth comes internally from consumers. They're not making any more consumers right now. They're kind of on a a consumer hiatus. And in fact, as our guest will be sharing with us, they're actually on the decline. Their population is shrinking. Yeah, I think according to our guest, uh, he said it may have plateaued about 
2012, although it didn't really manifest itself that way. Mm -hmm. But there are projections with the UN that China's population will be around basically half of what it is now. Supposedly about 1.4 billion now. That's probably under that. So there. Uh -huh. So the UN revised its projections and now says, well, China's population by 2100 will be around 750 million or something like that. So it's almost well, being cut in half. Yeah, I was going to say that's a pretty substantial drop or decline in population. But to the point that we started here, where are all those consumers going to come from? There's a right. little gap in that. That's the whole thing about what I meant by my intentionally derogatory comment about the decline is analysis being a mile wide and an inch deep. They just take this one extrapolation of economic growth. But as you were pointing out, how are you going to grow if your entire population is essentially shrinking or maybe the word collapsing is better? Uh, apparently, they're, you, you need 2.1 children to replace for a couple to replace themselves, that point one is, I presume, due to mortality at the oh, very, yeah, but very dude, I mean, it's it's a real simple thing. I mean, do the math. Mommy and daddy get together and make one kid. Well, that only replaced half of the family unit. Right, and that's what they said that China's official statistics are that it's down to about 1.0, so it's less than half the you know replacement, replacement. rate just to have yeah. a stable population. Mm -hmm. So to your point, Adam, and I guess the gist that we're getting to here is you have this projection of growth continuing, which of course it hasn't even been continuing at the 10% rate over the last few years. COVID put a big dent in it, mm -hmm. and I think it's kind of crawling around. It depends on who you look at. You well, know, I looked at, yeah, in your article, you cited a number, I believe it was 3% at present. That was from our Chinese scholar. Okay, well, again, there's a far cry, a far difference between 10% and 3%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because your doubling rate of your economy is like around 24 years when it's growing at 3% per year. And, of course, it's only, what do we say, uh, if it's 10%, it's doubling every seven years, right? Okay. So, yep. roughly. big difference. I think, Adam, the gist of the whole point that we're getting to is how in the world does your economy grow when you don't have enough people and enough workers to make all the stuff to make it grow and to consume yeah, exactly. those products? That's so, the point we were getting at. Well, and I think your point in the article was, if I remember correctly, you know, you were saying, like, first off, start off with this one. In 1985, the GDP in China, according to the World Bank, was $309.5 billion, while the United States was $4.339 trillion. Okay, well, that sounds like a pretty substantial difference to me. And like I said, to your point, a 10% increase annually from that perspective, you know, that's not a whole, I mean, arithmetically, that's not a really big number. You know what I mean? It's well, a whole it's, it's lot compound. easier to do 10, well, yeah, and it's a whole lot easier to do 10% on $309 billion than it is on $4.33 trillion. That's well, the uh, other thing is you also have a, com a country that's starting its developmental stage when it's a lot easier to run those numbers because you've got all these people in the countryside coming to the cities to work and you've got inputs that are available and just like the old Soviet model, you know, throw a lot of stuff in the process and your rate of growth will, will increase. Yeah, but again, to the point, you've got to have a market. You've got to have consumers for that. And while China, and I think you cited this in your article, you know, Chinese global exports rose from 17% to 20.5% in 2019, but mm -hmm. uh, took a hit during COVID and possibly stagnated. Well, and the other thing that was offsetting is the Chinese consumer class is obviously beginning to shrink, and mm -hmm. uh, that's going to bite into these things as well. Because, I mean, I, I know you and I like big 
flat screen TVs, but I don't think you and I want to buy 12 of them for our house just to uh, you know help prop up the growth rate of the American economy. Well, number one, no. And number two, I don't think there are any American-made flat screen TVs. I mean, the last thing I remember was, remember Curtis Mathis? Made in America. Yeah. I don't think Curtis Mathis is even around anymore. Well, I understand your point with that, but I think the illustration is just if you and I were in China and there, there are Chinese TV produced, oh, Chinese yeah. firms that produce TVs, right. one or two is probably going to do it for us. We don't need 10 or 12, nor can we afford typically to buy 10 or 12. So there's a real problem here for the declinists in that they're shooting to the moon on their extrapolations, but there's nothing supporting this. There's no basis to sustain this extrapolated market growth because there isn't a market. There won't be a market. It won't be consumers to sustain it. Well, I didn't. I didn't want to step on your line there, but you know, to your point, I believe you put, wrote in this article in order for the Chinese to maintain some semblance of economic prosperity at that level, each consumer in China would have to buy like ten TVs, ten cars, and ten something else. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, one, I don't think the wage you know scale in China is adequate to that. I'm just speaking from what I've read and certainly have no prima facie evidence to base this on, but it would seem to me that, you know, again, we, you and I agree, I think, almost in lockstep, the economy, particularly in China and in the United States, pretty much rides on the back of the consumer. Yeah, mm-hmm. macroeconomics is great. Macroeconomics is sexy. People like to talk about it. The economists, you know, they're all wound up about it. But at the end of the day, when you really get into it, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, somebody will write me hate mail or something, it rides squarely on the back of the consumers. And well, you're absolutely right. You pointed out there are less and less consumers to buy these goods. So the Asian miracle, you will, and again, that's not meant to be derisive, but it seems like in particular in China, it's going to pretty much sputter along for a few years. And that's pretty much the economic performance story. Yeah, well, that kind of would jibe with the growth rates sort of moving toward almost a static level. and. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, the only thing that saves you beyond that is if you could suddenly have the rest of the world buying a lot more stuff from you. But I think that ship has basically sailed. I think a lot of countries, particularly the Western powers, Europe, Japan, United States, they're looking to get move a lot of their production out of China because they frankly don't trust the Chinese government not to raid their offices, engage in industrial espionage, particularly with the labor costs apparently having come up significantly in recent years. It's not really the cheap place to go anymore. I think Vietnam mm-hmm. and India, places like that are uh, mentioned. And I've also seen uh, a number of commentators who said, uh, believe it or not, the biggest beneficiary over time of this whole reshoring maybe the United States itself, which is sort of surprising because you're sort of hear about how uncompetitive we are. Right. But, well, um, I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah, but I think part of it is, you know, respect for rule of law, which is a big deal. If you know with certainty that you can keep the fruits of your labor, it makes you a lot more motivated to do something than if you think it's going to be taken away at, at a moment's notice by an arbitrary government action. So it's that, but it, but that's a, a whole other podcast, I think. I don't want to get too far afield from where we were 
talking about. But I think it's just suffice to say, you and I have seen this in our own field when people talk about the prices of houses and so forth rising indefinitely. Well, they tend to trend upward because things cost more. They always do. Yeah. Always. But, you know, how much of that is nominal due to, you know, the government printing a ton of money as opposed to, you know, a real increase in value? That's something that you can debate. But it does correct itself. It mm. does come down somewhat. But, for example, in Florida, an area where you and I are both pretty familiar with, there does tend to be a gradual rising over time. It does sink back a little bit. It doesn't usually return back to the prior original starting point. Mm-mm. Because it does tend to trend upward, and part of it is the fact that people, like it or not, keep moving here. Well, you know, Jeff, to your point, I mean, I had for years done an economic outlook conference for a group here. Every year I'd research statistics from the Fed, you know, National uh, Statistics Bureau, housing statistics, and look at the average price of a house over time. And the fact of the matter is that housing prices always, always, always go up. Mm Mm-hmm. But to your point, when you look at always, always, always going up, the reason nine times out of 10 that housing prices always, always, always go up and they go up cyclically. They don't go up like our friends, the declinists, straight up at a, you know, at a 60 degree angle. They go up over a period of time. And then the real interesting part is when you start to look at the inflation adjusted housing prices versus, you know, like, let's say our other personal uh, favorite, the constant person purchasing power of a dollar, guess what? Housing prices did go up, but not that much. Not much. Not that much. Not that much. Not in terms of real dollars. Now, have they gone up? You bet. Is there an affordability issue? You bet. Is there an affordability issue in South Florida? You bet. But again, is this cyclical? You bet. Is it going to change? You can definitely bet on that. When? Couldn't tell you. But I know it will. It always does. Right. Well, that's the thing, too. You know, uh, if you have a house in certain areas like certain parts of California, New York, South Florida anymore, on paper, you might be a millionaire pretty close to it just by virtue of the house. But are you better off relative to everybody else in that same market? Probably not much difference because everybody's kind of floated up on the same wave of pricing. So whether, I mean, you can make the argument that we might have been better off 10 or 20 years ago because we were paying less taxes on our houses back then than we are now, simply because they were valued at a lower level. But but let's face it, the government, in their effort to better serve us and to better take care of us, is always, always, always on the standby (laughs) and ready, willing, and able to raise taxes on our homes to provide us with better infrastructure, better services, and oh and better education oh yeah it's always better education well you know certain states like florida have uh, limits on how much you can raise the taxes in a given year on a homestead but if you have your fancy second home or if on roamers keep a beach house somewhere or a mountaintop lair somewhere that's fair game for the tax people it's, it's not your impreg- primary residence an impregnable underground fortress <laughs> in a secret location, um, off the grid. Well, you know what? That is certainly true, and there are statutory limits to how much taxes can be raised. However, there's not a statutory limit on the amount of millage that can change or the new assessments that they can put into place. Like, right. for example, a few years ago, you had a fire assessment 
passed in, uh, I believe it was Dade County, and they were whacking people for three, five, six, seven thousand dollars for this fire assessment. And it was basically being assessed against commercial properties because commercial property owners are, are all wealthy individuals and you know greedy and scrupulous, uh, you know, land barons out to take advantage of everybody, and nobody really cares about them anyhow. Well, they're also, most importantly, far less numerous when voting time comes around than the owners of residential. Yeah, absolutely correct. Anyhow, back to our central point. Now, our Chinese friends that are going to eat our lunch for us are having population issues. Population is trending downward. Um, mm-hmm. you know, while there's certainly still an economic power to be thought of and certainly regarded, it would appear that, again, we have our, can we call them extrapolationists? I like I just like the word extrapolation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Can we coin a new one, Our extrapolationist friends are modeling things. And the one thing that has always struck me is, I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of Lou Goodkin. He was an economist with uh, oh, yeah. Price Waterhouse. Yeah. And Lou Goodkin, I have known him for many, many years. In fact, I have to find out if what he's up to, if he's up to anything anymore. But uh, he once said to me in a meeting that you could take all of the economists and line them all up and they'd all be pointing different directions. And to my way of thinking, and I think you've seen this as well as I have, that you know, there's always these opinions about how this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But to your point earlier, I mean, it's very, very, very narrowly thought out. And I can't make a projection of next year, let alone 20 years from now. Well, that's the thing. You made the comment on a different show that uh, the further out you go, the more variables and more bumps and bruises you run into. I think oh, I plagiarized that phrase for that paper. So uh, I'll be expecting a lawyer letter from you regarding that soon. But Did you actually use my work? Um, I guess I took the general idea. So I guess it falls with, well, you know, I got to talk with the president of Harvard because apparently it's not a bad thing to do. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I see. All right. Well, let's just let me know that what the president of Harvard's opinion is on you uh, liberating uh, my work product. I, you know, I thought it'd be quite funny is since uh, pre- I think her name, last name is Gay, right? President Gay. She's a bit on the hot seat for alleged plagiarism, and a lot of people are calling for her to resign. Why don't we plagiarize some of our stuff using her works? I don't know. Do we have an issue if we plagiarize the plagiarist's work? Well, that's an interesting thought. We'd have to check with the legal team, I think. Plagiarizing a plagiarized piece of work. That's an interesting thought. I wonder if that's something to ponder. Yeah, maybe do some research on that. But again, back to our Chinese eating our lunch. Mm -hmm. I believe I always loved the like the term the Asian tigers, especially Mm -hmm. in reference to some of these countries. And I'm like, I don't know. Some of these guys are doing real well, but tigers. That may be well, being a bit uh, generous. Well, I think, uh, you know, another country, actually a number of them have the same population issues. I mean, I think South Korea is way down near the bottom in terms of its birth rate being negligible and maybe as low as China's. And, of course, Japan's population has been shrinking a bit, too. I thought we talked yeah, about we did. Japan's yeah. population having taken a real hit. But I think China's obviously been the big star of the show because it's such a large country. And they've certainly, in recent years, made no secret of their ambitions to 
be the uh, numero uno bandito in the international system. So I don't think we really pay so much attention to South Korea, probably because they're an ally. And But I think they're going to run into the same sorts of issues in terms of population starts falling at some point. Exactly. You can't continue growing an economy year after year. So so it's an interesting situation. But I think, Adam, we've probably beaten the declines or the extrapolators. The extrapolationists. The extrapolationists. It sounds kind of dirty, but it's sort of scintillating at the same time. You know what? It kind of gives me a little tickle, you know what I mean? <laughs> we got to say something, though. We got to have a, an extrapolationist conversation somewhere in public and see what kind of reaction we get. So, Adam, I think we've probably uh, covered this topic pretty well. Was there uh, any other topics you'd like to You know uh, what, Jeff? Up? There are many other topics that I would like to consider. However, as you probably already guessed, I am getting the red card waved at me, which means that yeah. we need to bring our time together to an end. However, I'm sure there are going to be countless other uh, opportunities to uh, stick our finger firmly in the eye of the extrapolation. <laughs> and um, I can't you know, yeah, I'm sure that they'll be back. We'll have a, another session with them. Anyhow, Jeff, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. It's been, as always, a great pleasure. Oh, hey, by the way, before we split, uh, if yes, anybody's sir. interested in finding that article of yours and any of your other fantastic work, uh, where are you currently posting that? The articles that we base the reference on the show here and there all publish at Newsmax.com. And they're very nice people to work with. And you basically are able to see a wide variety of views expressed. Uh, they aren't all crazy right of center or uh, even in the center. They do get people on the left as well. And so uh, that's where Newsmax.com is uh, where you can find any of these articles if you would like to purview them. And you know what? This once again proves the theory that if you miss a payment on your not to mention your name on the air, guess what happens? It gets mentioned. Yep. There you go, Newsmax. <laughs> Forgot that check, did you? Anyhow, Jeff, right. it's our time together. Thank you so very much. Once again, this has been Adam Von Romer and senior correspondent Jeff Weaver from the Omaha Bugles Global News Network desk. Thank you for joining us, and we can't wait to see you on our next session. Good day. <laughs>